Hi there, I'm Mark Icero, and welcome to Article Club, where we read, annotate, and discuss one great article every month on race, education, or culture. This month, I have a couple questions for you. The first one is, do you have a pet? I'm asking because obviously many of us do at Article Club. Uh, Every week, I feature a photo of one of our beloved pets. And so if you do, here comes the second question, which is, how much would you pay to save your pet's life? I want you to think about that question for a moment because it's also the focus of this month's article. The article of the month is by Sarah Zhang. It was originally published in The Atlantic, and it's about the rising trend of cat kidney transplant, where more and more humans are getting transplants for their cats so they live longer. They're really expensive, about $15,000 or more, and there are a lot of ethical issues involved, including that you have to get the kidney from another cat, and that other cat can't consent. Anyway, I love this article. It's a combination of funny, serious, and thought-provoking, and I also appreciated interviewing Ms. Zhang to get her perspective. She loves cats, too, which you'll find out about in this conversation, and so I hope you enjoy this interview and also come to our discussion on June 25th at 2 p.m. Pacific time, where we'll discuss the article. You can sign up at highlighter.cc discussion. All right, here's our conversation. Thank you, Sarah, so much for doing Article Club. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Your piece is wonderful, totally perfect for us at Article Club. Um, Your piece in The Atlantic, how much would you pay to save your cat's life? We all want to know, at least I definitely want to know first, how did the article even first come about? Yeah, so this is not the most interesting answer, which is that my editor assigned this article to me. I had actually not heard about kidney transplants or even know it was possible for cats until the editor mentioned that this is something that had been going on. It's actually been going on for quite a long time, since at least the 90s. And I was just immediately fascinated. You know, as I write in the article, I have two cats. I'm pretty obsessed with my two cats. I spent a lot of time thinking about my cats and what they're thinking and what they're doing. So this was sort of an opportunity to kind of kind of merge, you know, the things that are already on my mind and to really engage with them on a on a deeper level and to and to also spend a lot of time talking to other people about their cats, which which I love to do. We could get into this later, but I started reporting this article in March of 2020. So right when the world started shutting down. And I was for the rest of my job just writing, you know, lots and lots about COVID. All of the at the time, you know, this was that was such an uncertain and scary time. And just having conversations with people about their cats was just such a nice bomb for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. Did your editor know about Pete and Wiley, your cats? <laughs> my editor knows that I had cats. So I think that's one reason she asked me. But I think, by, by the way, my editor also has a cat. Though I think we all realized like through the course of writing this story and like working with many different editors and fact checkers on the piece that we all are sort of like on different spectrums of how obsessed we are about our cats. So I would say I am probably more obsessed than my editor. That's amazing. Yeah. And I I appreciate that you said that you you started reporting this during the pandemic. And that's what I wanted to also ask you about, too, is like the sourcing and the people you talk to, like. How did you find the folks, especially because in your piece, you're talking about the various emotions, you know, that they may feel about this, about cat kidney transplant. So can you take us back? You know, it's the pandemic and you're trying to find people. How did you go and find the people, you know, that you wanted to talk to? 
Yeah, it was a long process in part just because, you know, because as I was having these first conversations in March 2020, I was also saying, you know, there's something else going on. This virus seems pretty, pretty important right now. I might need to take a break from this story and come back to you in a few months or in some cases it was over a year. So it was a long process. I was kind of in the background because of that. As far as finding owners to talk to, there are currently really only to maybe three university hospitals that perform these procedures. So there's really a limited number of ways to ways into the story, right? Because there's really only like two or three surgeons. I'm saying two or three because one of them had paused a program, but was thinking of coming back online to, to find them. So I really just started by talking to the surgeons who performed this procedure. I wanted to, you know, first just learn a little bit about how it's done, about the history of the process, about you know, they, they are at the center of this world, right? They've collectively seen hundreds of these surgeries and then sort of started thinking about how to radiate out from there by talking to different owners. So I first, I just asked the surgeons I talked to to put me in touch with some owners and they did. And, and I really appreciated that they didn't only put me in touch with, you know, owners whose surgeries went great. You know, sometimes there are complications, sometimes a second transplant unnecessary. So I got to like really experience the full or talk to people who experience the full range of possible outcomes from the surgery. And from there, I also just always kept asking, you know, whenever I talked to an owner, I'd say, hey, do you know anyone else I could talk to? Are you in touch with anyone else? Sometimes they put me in touch with someone. I also just Googled. I saw who had talked about kidney transplant on social media, who had in some cases had a GoFundMe to try to crowdsource or crowdfund their, their cat's kidney transplant. So I kind of just in, in these stories, I always want to talk to as many people as possible because I know that there are many, many different facets to any kind of experience like this. And from there, kind of decide, okay, who do I want to quote in the story? Who do I maybe want to visit? But at the beginning, I was really just trying to cast as wide of a net as possible. Yeah. And I, I feel also that you were really, that you're really sensitive, you know, to the owners. Well, you also have this whole thing about, are they pet owners or are they pet parents and the whole sort of in between. But for the folks that you talked to, I felt like you were really sensitive. And throughout your piece, it, it really came out that, that there's a, a sense of shame, you know, in many ways, possibly with a lot of folks. How did, when you met folks and when you talked to them, how did you navigate this? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think I was sensitive to this in part because I had experienced this myself, right? Like I have cats. I have, I remember once one time my cat had to get a tooth pulled and ended up being over, you know, $1,000. And I was shocked that just this simple tooth would be over $1,000. And as I write in the piece, when I went to adopt one of my cats, Wiley, I was actually explicitly asked how much money would I spend on this medical care. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. Like, I mean, they're going to judge me if it's too high and they're going to judge me if it's too low, right? Like, what is the right answer here? And I think that in some ways was also why I was interested in this story, because I think there is so much judgment in how much you're willing to spend on your pets. I think it's like either too much or too little can, can both really provoke reactions in people. And it's sort of like anything other than what I think is right is, you know, just a strange outlier. But I think, you know, because of just I having been through this with my own cats, I was personally sensitive to this. But I also think, you know, there there are different ways that I could have written this story, right? Like one is to kind of make it a very like dishy, gossipy piece, gawking at these people who are spending so much money on their cats. Another on the other extreme is to talk about, wow, what a great scientific advance this is and sort of be uncritical, especially about the ethical kid issues when it comes to taking a kidney from another cat. But I, you know, but my own feelings about it were complex. I felt like what was most interesting to me was the gray, gray area, was the ways in which people disagreed. And so I didn't want to 
portray it as just a black and white situation because I didn't personally think it was a black and white situation. You know, it's just aside from the from the from the money that it takes to get a kidney transplant, which by the way is fifteen thousand dollars. I've heard people tell me they spend much as like thirty, forty thousand dollars because you have to travel. There's a lot of follow up care. The cat is on medication for the rest of their lives. It is a lot of money, but the the sort of even bigger complication compared to you know, another procedure like a, a hip transplant, for example, is that you have to take the kidney from another cat. And, you know, that cat can't consent to having its kidney taken the way in a, a human volunteer can. That was the part of the article that both surprised me. First of all, the whole cat kidney transplant thing was also a little bit new for me, but I was sort of reading along and you were doing this great dance, I feel, about sort of like cute stuff about strawberry and then other things about being a cat owner and then also some serious stuff. And you were really, I felt like you were really wonderful on tone and sort of like seeing the nuances. And then all of a sudden came the consent question and it just sort of totally took me by surprise. I was like, yeah, we need to have another cat. And so I felt like for the several pages there, I was like, oh, this is, this is one of the big hearts of the article. How have folks felt about that consent question? You did such a great job of saying, hey, the cat can't consent. And so, of course, you know, they, they've come up with some policies at these at these hospitals, right? Yeah, I think the when I talked about the story of people, I think the baseline reaction that people often have before they like really know how, how it works is like, oh, my God, are they killing another cat? Which if you've read the article, you know, that's not the case. Just like humans, a cat can survive with one kidney. But then from there, it gets really more complicated, right? Because the question is, where are these cats coming from? In some cases, I did speak to a couple of owners where they like had another cat already and like their, you know, their other cat provided a kidney for their, for their cat who needed it, who was sick. I thought it was interesting. There's one point where I talked to an owner who had three cats and I asked her, did you consider using one of your other cats as a donor? And she was like, huh. I hadn't thought about that because I hadn't, I wouldn't want them to put them through that. But essentially, if she was getting a cat kidney transplant, she was going to have to put another donor through that, right? I thought it was interesting the ways in which these just basically core different statuses to, to animals, to cats even, depending on where they're from. So, you know, the sources of the cat kidney transplants are either they are, they're especially bred to be lab cats. So cats are used in scientific research. They're also used to you know, develop vaccines and medications for cats themselves. And they are also used as, as blood donors for when some cats come into the hospital and need blood. Um, and another source at the University of Pennsylvania, they've actually sent up, set up this like pretty intense program where they've partnered with a shelter in a more suburban part of the state where they'll sort of choose these cats and bring them to the hospital and like wait until there's another sick cat who might need their kidney. And so, you know, in some ways you can say like, yes, you are rescuing a cat from a much worse life, either in a lab or, you know, possibly in a shelter. That's also, again, more complicated because the cats that are coming from the shelter, they're usually kittens. They're usually very good nature. They're very healthy. They're very playful. These are cats that are probably going to get adopted anyways, right? Well, you could say, well, these cats are definitely going to get adopted by someone who was really, really into their cats and will probably really like indulge and spoil their cats. So maybe they're living a much better life than they would have otherwise, except for the one kidney. But I think that there's, there's so many layers to this, which is sort of how far down you, like how many layers, how many layers you peel off of the onion of like, is this really in the cat's best interest? Now, there are cases where the donor cat did develop kidney issues and they may or may not be unrelated to their surgery, but it, you know, maybe if they had still had two kidneys, they would have lived for longer. But I think 
what's uncomfortable really is that we don't think of pets as property. We don't want to think of them as children, but we still become responsible for their well-being. And I think we are just trying to navigate, like, what is the best for our pets when they are also in some ways providing, like, a joy and a comfort to us? Like, how much are we doing it for them versus how much are we doing it for ourselves? Totally. And also the question that you have, what do we owe, you know, to these animals? And why also are we treating different animals differently? And I also appreciate how you brought in sort of like the vet's perspective as well. And sometimes how they are actually honoring the human's wishes rather than what's necessarily best for the cat. You you did mention in your article that typically on average or the median sort of is that it, it, it allows for two additional years of life. But, you know, the question is sort of like at what cost? We all know about how vets, you know, suffer from a lot of mental illness. There's a lot, a higher rate of suicide, as you also mentioned. What did you feel, you know, when speaking to vets about this issue? Yeah. Yeah. Being a vet these days is really hard. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in the veterinary industry these days. Part of it is a lot of consolidation. There's a vet shortage, you know. If, if any of you have tried to see a vet in the past few years, you probably found that it might have been kind of difficult to get an appointment, especially when I go see a specialist, for example. So being a vet is just a really hard profession, right? It is, in some ways, it's like being a doctor. You could be on call 24-7, depending on the, you know, the, the kind of practice that you have. It can be very stressful. And so if you add money to the equation and it just becomes, you know, even even more so. For example, like if you, vets are often dealing with owners who might want to do something, but don't have the money to save their, save their cat or dog. You know, maybe it's a puppy who had a fracture. That's something that's very treatable, but it is something that is going to be quite expensive. What do you do in that case? Or on the flip side, you have a dog who's been through, maybe who has cancer, has been through radiation and multiple rounds of chemo, and it's pretty clear they're not going to make it. And they're really, really struggling. And that's what I mean, like they, they face these decisions all the time where owners want them to do, oh, just try one more thing. And they can tell that this is probably just going to cause animal death suffering rather than to help them actually get better. Um, so they're in this kind of uncomfortable situation where unlike in human medicine, euthanasia is an option, right? We and, and, you know, most people think of at a certain point, euthanizing your pet is probably the humane thing to do. And that makes that decision really difficult. I mean, not not that this decision is not, you know, also extremely heart-wrenching and excruciating when it comes to human medicine, but it's different because of that option of euthanasia. And, you know, there, there are many reasons that are contributing to the burnout in very veterinary medicine, but the fact that they are often having to deal with extremely emotional situations and dealing with matters of life and death. One of the surgeons I talked to told me that he'd been interested in medicine and had originally wanted to then go to medical school, become a human doctor, but thought that he couldn't deal with having to face, you know, telling a mother that her child had died. And so now he's realized, well, being veterinary medicine, I wouldn't say exactly the same, but often a lot of the emotions really are the same. Yeah, totally. And I really appreciate how you talk about, you know, sort of like the different options with healthcare for humans versus animals and pets. And another piece right at the end, you also talk about the healthcare for humans, you know, especially as we've seen with huge inequities in race as well. It's like it, your piece had so many different pieces about ethics and morals. And, you know, I thought that it was sort of trending toward the end. And yet you also speak to to a cat owner, right, who is a black woman. And mm-hmm. she was talking about how maybe she was getting better care for her cat than for her own relatives. 
Yeah, yeah. So Holly was also also a graduate student, and she sort of unlike most of the others I talked to, couldn't afford to get her cat kidney transplant on her own. So right. So this is part of why I wanted to talk to a lot of people because you know she had a very different experience than people who could just afford to drop twenty thousand dollars for their cat. So she she ended up getting kidney transplant because she had cat insurance, she had pet insurance, and it just so happened the particular coverage plan she had, the particular insurance she had, was going to cover the kidney transplant but she knew like this is no way something she could have afforded on her own so that was just a very different facet of experience than someone who you know can afford to buy new cars and also also give their kidney their cat a kidney transplant and not really worry about the financial cost um yes and she was saying that you know she had family members who had died of kidney disease while waiting for a transplant and here she was with her cat, she realized sort of the privilege she was in that she was able to get her cat kidney when she knew family members who couldn't. I think this was just one of the ways in which I feel like the how we see our pets, like the in the qualities we see in our pets, and also sort of the discomfort we feel towards that is really a reflection of also the discomfort we feel towards the inequality in human medicine. These are they kind of reflect back on each other. You know, this is a ostensibly a story about pets, but I think it's also a story about like human relationships and how how animals are different and alike from humans, and also what that tells us about our relationship with each other as humans. Yeah, and you, I think, expert like expertly also avoided some possible sort of like generational pitfalls too, although it's definitely there. So I thought you were going to go and do the sort of maybe boomer versus millennial or even Gen Z piece around, you know, the idea of our pets, our kids. And also you do mention that birth rates have fallen. And I feel like you are also getting at that, meaning that there's a whole lot of judgment, especially for folks who don't have human children and yet are putting a whole lot of time and effort into their pets, especially when they go ahead and say things that might be a little bit disconcerting, like, oh, this is my soulmate, like my cat is my soulmate. I want to I wanted to ask her, how did you sort of figure out how deeply to move into that part of your of your article? That's actually really interesting when you say about the generational divide. I would say that the people I talked to, I didn't necessarily feel like they were all boomers versus millennials. But of course, as you say, there is like a, a, a big change over time. And the stereotype is they'll play millennials. They're so into their pets. So the the sort of unspoken subtext of this piece is that I was actually pregnant with my first child when I wrote it. And we closed the piece when I was 38 weeks pregnant. And I think it came out like maybe a week or two after I gave birth. So this idea of our pets, children, how close are they to children was very, very, very much on my mind. And obviously now that like I'm home with my baby and with my pets and my cats, I, I thought a lot about that too. Yeah, but but that's a good question of like how far do I want to push into, you know, like how people like sort of extreme ends of how people feel about their their pets. And I, I definitely talked to people who were, you know, very, very invested in their cats. The way that I think maybe... Most people would find a little bit hard to understand or like hard to relate to. But I think I felt important as well, just like as a writer technique, to find people who were maybe more ambivalent about how they give their cat a kidney transplant. Because I think that's, I think in the gray is where things are interesting to me. I think that people are grappling with the issues when they've, you know, if, for some, if someone just says, oh no, I'm not concerned at all about like being judged or I think this is definitely the right thing to do. I think there's often 
it's harder to sort of explore like what are the what is the actual gray area there if you're talking to someone who actually i think you know cassie who's cat banquo is featuring the piece i think she actually is someone who kind of thought about it both ways and when we were closing the piece banquo got quite sick again and she really was thinking you know am i doing more because i it is best for him or am i is there a point where it tips into being selfish and really doing this for me and yeah, I, I think I thought about, you know, do they want to center this piece around someone who is a source like maybe more unequivocal or more extreme about how they feel about their cats? I think I didn't want to descend it into caricature. I really wanted to probe those ethical questions and to talk to someone who was thinking about it themselves. Yeah, I also feel like you probed, you know, just to say one more time about judgment. And I'm still left with why are we so judgmental about this piece? Because we spend our money on so many different things and and we have just sort of different feelings about things, but I still don't quite totally understand why. Like, do you have a sense about why you might feel that there is so much judgment? Yeah, I mean, my theory is that I think it's because pets are close enough to humans, but not quite human, right? Like, if they, someone's spending money on their car or on, you know, renovating their kitchen, I think there's this point which we understand, like, why you'd want a car, a new car, or a kitchen, because those are things that, like, we're all sort of brought up to desire and 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 to value but i think there's something about like having this deep emotional relationship with a pet which does just like feel a little bit new in terms of change over time my grandparents probably would have found it rather strange that your dog sleeps in your bed right like i, I feel like in my grandparents generation like the dog like, came into the kitchen or like was in the backyard but they did not even come onto your living room couch and so i think this just this idea that you'd be so emotionally invested in an animal makes us uncomfortable and i think you know sometimes makes us feel like well are you more invested in an animal than a human what's that say about us as humans then if, if we've gotten to the point where we're more you know we care more about a dog or a cat than we care about a human i think it's the kind of in between nature of pets where they are both a being but they're also in some ways property that just is makes us very unsettled that kind of brings up all these questions of what obligations we have to animals but also what obligations we have to other humans yeah, I, I think it's just that the in-betweenness is just very, very uncanny to us. I love that. Thank you. And I also love how you ended your piece. You you write, our cats have taught us about being human. I don't know how much that is worth. And I just want to thank you, Sarah, for all your time for your piece. I have one last question for you, which is, how are Pete and Wiley doing, either today or just in general? <laughs> They're doing great. They're adjusting to the baby. Well, it's been six months, so they say so they they have adjusted. I was very, very curious to see how they would react to a baby coming home. And I think they were a little bit freaked out at first because she was crying a lot. And then they were meowing at her. They like could have heard us trying to shush her. So I think then they meowed at her. They tried to like <laughs> shush her themselves. But it's been so interesting to watch them unlock mutual awareness. You know, in the beginning, the baby was like, you know, it's, it's like a little potato who like doesn't know anything, can't really see anything. And now she is also so interested in them. Whenever she sees the cats, she is, you know, like she was like reaching to touch them. She like is making sounds and smiling at them. They're a little bit more wary of her. Uh, she's starting to move. So we'll see how this relationship develops. That's the best. Thank you again, Sarah, for doing Article Club. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I want to thank Sarah Zhang yet again for writing this piece and also sharing your views. It was really, really great. And I can't wait to talk about it on June 25th. If you're interested, again, you can sign up at highlighter.cc slash 
discussion. Article clubbers out there, I really appreciate your listening to this as well as reading all the great articles that I share every week. Um, I'm really, really appreciative of you. Hope you have a good week. And if you do want to reach out, you can always reach me at mark at highlighter.cc. Have a great week.